Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Practical Parsha podcast with Rabbi Shlomo Kohn. Thank God we've been growing each and every week. And if you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with a K at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. This week's Parsha, Parsha's Chukas, really deals with a lot of different mitzvos and different stories that happen in the Torah. The Parsha begins with the special mitzvah, the special commandment of the Parah Aduma, the red heifer, the process of how you get a red heifer, what it accomplishes, how it purifies, what are the qualifications of finding a cow that is designated to be a Parah Aduma, and the Parsha then segues the Parsha then segues into the laws of Tuma and Tahira, the laws of purity and impurity. And we discussed Miriam in this week's Parsha passes away. And subsequently, because of her death, the well of Miriam, which the Jews used to drink water from in the desert, dries up. The Jews come to Moshe Rabbeinu, complaining to him, they have no water. Moshe gets angry. He davens to Hashem. God commands Moshe Rabbeinu, to go speak to the rock. And in this week's Parsha, Moshe Rabbeinu commits the sin of striking the rock. Aaron passes away. And the Parsha also concludes with the different battles the Jewish people fought in the desert. I wanted to discuss three ideas in this week's Parsha and to really go into the the story that goes along with each one of these ideas. The first lesson, which I want to discuss, is the idea of para aduma. The Torah describes us very clearly about how we find a para aduma, what is a para aduma, what has to be done. But the first thing that we speak of is the Torah says chukas, zos chukas ha-Torah. And the parsha is referred to as parsha's chukas. Now, literally, the word choik means a decree. But it really brings us to a more broader discussion about the different types of mitzvos that we have as Jews. It's brought down that there are three types of mitzvos. There are adios, there are mishpatim, and there are chukim. So adios are these testaments. They're mitzvos that we do that testify to Hashem running the world. They, they testify that we went out of Egypt. We blow a shofar, we eat matzah, we put on tefillin. These are all mitzvahs that we do that are meant to help us remember what we're supposed to do and our position in this world and God, how God runs the world. There are other sets of laws, which are referred to as mishpatim, which help the world exist. Do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery. These, If we wouldn't have these laws of the Torah, civil law, people would just swallow each other up. And finally, the third type of mitzvah is referred to as a chok. And that is no, that is translated loosely as a divine decree. Meaning that Hashem has given us certain mitzvos that we in our finite understanding of things are not able to understand. Because God is infinite and we are finite, we're limited, and there are just some mitzvos, para aduma, the red heifer being one of them that we f- cannot fully understand. And I'm going to explain what are the contradictory elements about Paraduma? Just to start off, so first off is that number one is the, the, this Paraduma, it had to be a completely red cow with no blemish. If it would have more than two black hairs, it would disqualify it from 
this halacha of paraduma, and it could never have a yoke placed upon it. Now, the Torah describes to us the process of what they would do to this red heifer. They would take it and they would burn it with, you know, different things would be added to it and it would be ground up and create this certain special type of ash. And the ashes from the paraduma, the red heifer, would be used to purify. That is, if someone became impure by touching a dead person or becoming in the same, um, the same room as someone who passed away, they would use the ashes of the paraduma to purify them and to make them tahar, pure again. Now, one of the aspects of the paraduma which seem to be contradictory and something, that are, and something that's incomprehensible is the fact that the Kohen who would sprinkle the ashes on top of the person who was Tameh and make him Tahar, he himself would become impure. So the Kohen who sprinkles the ashes on the individual, the individual becomes pure and the Kohen becomes impure. It seems a little bit contradictory. And it's brought down in the Medrash that the natures of the world mock the Jewish people for this mitzvah of paraduma because it doesn't seem to make any sense. It seems to be contradictory and nonsensical, God forbid. But for us, we know that Hashem gave us the mitzvah to do, and it's our job to do the mitzvah. Even if we don't understand it, we don't fully grasp all its details, this is the commandment that we got from God, and therefore we have, we have to do it. Even though we can't fully understand the mitzvah of para aduma because it's out of our realm of understanding, there's, there are different hints that are brought down in the Midrash and in the Talmud that relate this special mitzvah of becoming pure through the red heifer to the sin of the golden calf. That it seems through the different commentary and the different sources that the process and the purification of the red heifer is meant to atone for the sin of the golden calf that the Jews committed also in the desert. And there's also one big, very important idea which I think we can gain from this idea of paraduma and from chok, this idea of divine decree. Many times, humanity has questions. And a lot of times those questions are how could bad things happen to good people? And there seems to be contradictory forces of good and evil happening in the world, right? How could certain things happen? How could young and innocent children die? And the mitzvah of paraduma, the enigma of paraduma, how it simultaneously defiles and purifies, contains an important lesson. Because even though there is this coexistence of good and evil, we don't understand it, we can't explain it, we have to know within ourselves that there is a plan and there is a vision. That, like we said before, that God is infinite and we are finite. And just like if we have a picture, a beautiful portrait that we're drawing, and you take the portrait and you put it very close to your face, you're not going to know what that picture is of. But if you take that same portrait and pull it away from your line of vision, you begin to see the beauty, the grandeur, all the different details in it. So when it comes to our vision, how we see things, we're like the person who zoomed in to the portrait. We can't even begin to understand what this is a picture of. But Hashem, who sees from who's, who was before us and will be after us, He knows the whole picture. He is infinite. 
he has the whole portrait. He sees the whole picture. And the nations of the world, when they're, when they're faced with this question of good and evil, people will say that there's no God in the world. There is no ruling power. But we know as Jews that the Torah teaches us not like that. That since we are limited and God is unlimited, that everything comes from one source. Everything happens is from Hashem. Good and things that seem evil as well. And we have to realize that certain things that don't make sense transcends our understanding of things. If we take this outlook and approach it to all areas of our life, it'll help us have the correct emuna, the correct faith, and the correct outlook when challenging situations arise. Another thought which I wanted to talk about, which I think is very important, and we see this from Paraduma, is that I mentioned before that there's three types of mitzvos. There's adios, testaments, there's chukim, I'm sorry, there's mishpatim, which are these civil laws, and number three is, is chukim, is divine decree. We must realize at the end of the day, the reason why we do all the mitzvos is because Hashem said so. In essence, all mitzvos are chukim. And the reason why I'm saying this, and it's important to internalize this idea, is that although it is very important to get the meaning behind things, to understand why we do things, to, why we do what we do, why do we have Shabbos, why do we eat kosher, and to have reasons, and the significances of blowing shofar, and the, it brings out the beauty, it helps us feel more attached to the mitzvah, it, it makes us have that stronger connection that we, we really want and we should have. But we all have to realize in the end of the day, when it comes to doing mitzvos, that the bottom line, the reason why we do mitzvos is not because of reasons and how it makes us feel, it's because Hashem said so. And the reason why this is important to have this realization is because if we just go with reasons and how we understand things and how something feels for us, so then if we have a good feeling about a mitzvah, we'll do it. But if one day we wake up and we don't feel like davening, we don't feel like doing that mitzvah, so we're not going to do it because it's, it's not about the responsibility we have because it's all about the feeling, right? And the way I like to bring this out is that it, when someone has a job, hopefully most people enjoy their job or parts of their job and we hope that we want to look forward to going to work. But even someone who enjoys their job Right? We don't always want to go to work. There's just some days that we get up and we're not interested. We don't want to go. But we know since we have a responsibility to ourselves, to our family, and we have to keep a roof over our head, we have to feed our family, we have to pay the bills, we get up anyway because we know we have a responsibility. That's why it's important to have this realization that mitzvos, in the end of the day, all types of mitzvos are, are because Hashem said so. Because on the day that we wake up and we're not interested, I mean, obviously we want to work to get to a point where we want to do things, but everyone's human. We have our ups and downs. And there's just some days where we're not interested. We don't want to. So it's imperative that we have this realization that we have a responsibility. We have an obligation that the master of the world, the king of the universe, told us to do something and therefore it is incumbent upon us to fulfill his will. After discussing the laws of the Red Heifer, the Paraduma, the Torah continues with some of the basic halachos of Tumah Vitahara, laws of ritual cleanliness. Now, spiritual impurity is something that could come on a person, food, 
liquids, vessels, garments. And there are different ways that a person can become Tameh or his food can become Tameh or his clothing. There is something referred to as Avi Avos Hatoma, a person who is a corpse, a dead person. That transmits the most severe degree of Tuma. Each, each passing level, first degree Tuma, second degree Tuma, if someone touches a dead person and that person touches another person and that second person touches food, there's different laws as to how the different levels of Tuma, of spiritual impurities, are passed from one person to another and from a person to a food and from a food to anything else. One idea which I want to discuss regarding Tuma Vitahara, the different spiritual impurities, is this basic concept of Tuma, of impurities. Now, we don't see Tuma. You know, you think of uh, bacteria. We think of dirt. We think of cleaning ourselves. But spiritual impurities maybe becomes a little bit easier nowadays. You know, we, we all believe, we all know there's such a thing as bacteria and germs and things we can't see. Now, Tuma does not work like that. You could have something that's very, very clean, but it is tume. And as a side note, nowadays, most tumas, impurities, do not apply. But I wanted to give a basic explanation and understanding for this concept of tuma. Now, we know that the biggest source of tuma, the most spiritually impure thing, is a corpse. And if you look at a corpse, what happened? A person had life, and now the neshama, the spiritual life force, has left. And if you look at other, other ways that a person can become Tameh, there is a common denominator, right? A woman, when she menstruates, when she has her period, right, there was an egg that now is leaving the body, and now she becomes Tameh, right? A person, a man who has an emission, right? There was a certain, right, the semen is a source of life, and now it's gone. So there's a certain vacuum that is created. So the common denominator which you see here is the fact that whenever there is a potential for something and it leaves, it is gone, it sort of creates a vacuum, a spiritual vacuum. And that's why a corpse, a dead person, where there wasn't a shama, there was something living here, a person could accomplish, a person could do, a person could do mitzvos. And now that neshama has left this body there is a certain vacuum, a spiritual vacuum that is created, which is the sense of tuma. And the same thing could be said for a, a woman who, has a, who menstruates, right? There was a certain potential. There was potential for life, and now it's gone. And same thing could be said for a man who has an emission, that there is potential for life, and now it's gone. So it creates a certain spiritual vacuum, and that is that helps us understand this idea of tuma. Now, there's moving on in the Parsha, to the last idea is we know this week's Parsha discusses the sin of Moshe and Aaron. And Moshe Rabbeinu, the Jewish people, after Miriam passes away, come to Moshe Rabbeinu and they complain to him, how, could, how come you took us out of Mitzrayim? You took us out of Egypt to die? It, was, it would have been better if you left us in Egypt. And they're complaining. And Moshe gets angry at the Jewish people. He davens to Hashem and Hashem commands him to go to the rock of Miriam, the rock that used to give the water from the well of Miriam. And Hashem wanted Moshe Rabbeinu to take the elders to the rock and to learn Torah by the rock, to speak to the rock. And 
water would come forth from it. And henceforth, a Kiddush Hashem would, would have been created. A sanctification of Hashem's name would have been created. The people were questioning Hashem. They were questioning God's ability. And now through Moshe Rabbeinu, by him speaking to the rock, by learning Torah next to the rock, God's name would be sanctified. And what happened is that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't listen carefully to the command of Hashem. He told the entire Jewish people to come to see him perform this miracle by the rock. And in the end, it sort of caused problems because when it didn't happen exactly how, how Moshe thought, the people started, some of the people, started chastising Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu started talking to the rock and blood came out of it. And after seeing that blood was coming out of the rock, the people, some of the people, the, the naysayers and the riffraff of the Jewish people started mocking Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock. He hits the rock and water starts dripping out of it. And again, the people mock Moshe Rabbeinu. Is this enough for our babies? Now we have enough for our children to drink. But what about us? And he strikes the rock again and water comes gushing out of the rock. Now because of this sin, Moshe Rabbeinu is destined to, and Aaron is destined to die in the, in the wilderness with the rest of that generation. And the commentary give different reasons as to why this was considered a sin. We know earlier in the Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu hits the rock and the, wa- and the rock gives water. And over there, earlier, it wasn't a sin. What happened here that in this situation by May Mariva, that Moshe Rabbeinu sinned by hitting the rock? And uh, there's different reasons that are given. But the main idea which you see in many of the commentaries is that the, the, the sin, the Avera, what that came out from Moshe Rabbeinu hitting the rock is that there was a Chilal Hashem. There was a desecration of God's name because it, it was supposed to be a sanctification of God's name, but by speaking to the rock, people would realize that Hashem could do anything. And the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu hit it, it was not the, on the level of the same level of sanctification as it should have been. And for someone as such as Moshe Rabbeinu, who was the greatest leader the Jewish people ever ever had, he's, he, lived, he was on the 49th level of holiness. For him, it was considered an infraction. As small as it may be, as small as, that, as it would have been, it was something that he should have done in the proper way. And therefore, he was punished by not being able to enter the land of Israel and passing away with the generation in the Midbar. Now, there's one very nice idea which I saw, which is an important lesson for us when it comes to the story of Meimariva and Moshe Rabbeinu's sin. We see that before Moshe Rabbeinu hits the, the rock, the Jewish people come and complain to Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu becomes very frustrated. He calls the Jewish people rebellious ones. He becomes angry with the Jews. And it seems that the Jewish people were coming out of a place of desperation. They had no water. They, could, they needed to drink. And therefore, they are frustrated and angry. And they're coming to Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu became angry. He became upset with his people. He called them rebellious. He criticized them. And it's because of that, because of his anger, Moshe Rabbeinu came to a mistake of hitting the rock. And this is not the first time this happened. We see that other places in the Torah where Moshe Rabbeinu became upset with the Jewish people, he erred in judgment. And over here in May Mariva, when the water dried up and the people came to him, because of his anger, 
he made a mistake by hitting the rock and therefore he did not merit to enter the land of Israel. And the lesson for us is that many times we get angry. Now, it's a separate discussion about why we get angry. Should we hope we should not get angry? But we get angry. We're human beings. And the point is, is that we have to realize that when we get upset, we make mistakes. We say things that we shouldn't have said. We do things that we shouldn't have done. And if we realize that we do these type of, we, that we make erroneous when we make bad mis- bad judgment calls when we're upset, when we make, if we realize that we make bad judgment calls when we get upset, number one is it'll help us from getting angry. And number two is when we are in that position where we're boiling inside, we should think to ourselves, it's better not to act, to not do something, to let time cool things off, to let the temperature come down. And God willing, if we do that, we'll, have, we'll be able to handle situations better and to not make those tragic tragic mistakes and things that say things that we regret, to do things that we regret, and God willing, it'll help us be better people. That's going to do it for this week's Practical Parsha podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at rabbishlomokon with a K at gmail.com. Have a great day.